If you have a copy of the Word of God this morning, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 1 to 11. It's on page 558 in the Bible in the back. Ecclesiastes 10, 1 through 11. Verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Verse 9, he who quarries stones is hurt by them, and and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, certainly, uh, one of the overriding themes of the uh, uh, book of Ecclesiastes is that by far, wisdom is superior to folly, that wisdom is always preferable uh, to foolishness. And that's the theme uh, that we have before us today. You know that... um, This book also contrasts worldly wisdom with the wisdom that we really need. Because this world will not furnish us the kind of wisdom that will lead us uh, to eternal happiness. There are many things in this world that we congratulate ourselves for, and even rightfully so. There are all kinds of accomplishments, all kinds of achievements. We're in the season of the uh, uh, Olympic Games and... And it's thrilling. She deserves the gold medal. He deserves the silver medal. And, and, and we rejoice in that. But none of those things, none of that skill, none of that kind of wisdom will ever lead us to heaven. We'll have a good time down here and we'll enjoy a lot of things. But the end will not be a happy ending. Uh, Uh, Colossians chapter 2 states so clearly that in Christ are hidden 
all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not some of them, not many of them, but all of them. They're all found in Christ. And so in our passage this morning, uh, we're going to find that out. Uh, uh, We're going to see that in these uh, proverbial expressions uh, that are given to us. But we're going to find Jesus, uh, just like Pastor Mark uh, found him last week when when he found it in, in chapter 9 and verse 16. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Christ was the weakest uh, creature on earth with the least resources. He, he was a lowly, poor man, but there was none ever wiser. And though a poor man's wisdom is despised, who was more despised th- than that poor man's wisdom than Jesus Christ himself? But he got the victory. He saved a multitude of sinners which no man can number. Well, we'll find that, but first, if we could look at the passage in in its face value, its precious face value, I say, in in verses uh, 1 through 3, you have a proverbial uh, discussion of wisdom and and folly on a personal level. You'll see that. And in verses 4 through 7, you'll see the same uh, comparison, the same discussion on a political level. And then in verses uh, 8 through 11, you'll see a proverbial discussion on a practical and common level. So, in verse 1, we read that dead flies make a a a perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So, a little folly out outweighs wisdom and honor. Uh, the, the evident uh, meaning is apparent to you. The, the usual and naturally pleasant and often expensive item can be ruined. It can be corrupted by a comparatively small thing. It is said that it is, it is easier uh, to make a stink than it is uh, to create sweetness. And I'm told that literally in in the grammar, you you, you can actually say any one dead fly can make the perfumer's oil or ointment or perfume uh, to stink. Just that impulsive, thoughtless remark, you know this, In, in any given situation, can ruin it. Just the irritable response, just the ill-temperedness, just the needlessly critical spirit can spoil a person's testimony. The occasional slip, the tiny inconsistency can mess everything up. Um, Maybe you think of Moses when you think uh, 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 when he struck the rock. Just that one little thing, it kept him out of the promised land. You think of Miriam, how she did not like 
uh, Moses' wife, uh, 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 perhaps from, because of her natural, her national origin or the color of her skin, and she was struck with leprosy. And maybe you remember Esau uh, for being so hungry. He gives up his birthright. Things like that. The tiny thing can spoil it. You're having a discussion with your wife and you're going for peace. And you lose it just for a second. And it can ruin the whole day. Well, we're aware of this common truth. But what will keep the flies out? What will keep the flies out of our character that make us to stink, as it were? What will do that? Well, you know, if you keep that container covered, cover the container of the ointment, which, which represents your conduct and your behavior and your character. You can cover it with prayer. You can cover it with the Word of God. You can cover it with a community kind of relationship. You can cover it with corporate worship. You can cover it at the Lord's table where you are reminded of your forgiveness of sins. You can cover it. You can keep the flies out if you take those preventative measures. Verse 2 says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Tim Keller helpfully uh, defines what the heart is that is inclined either to the right or to the left. He says the heart is the center of our personality, the seat of our fundamental commitments, the control center of our whole person. We will always go according to our heart. The thing that is this in the center of us. Well, what if the thing that is in the center of us is desperately wicked? What if that controlling force is, is more deceitful than anything else? What if that controlling mechanism lies to us and, and it's innately and intrinsically incurable? What kind of a situation is that? We will go to the left. We will go to that side that, that is contrary to what is right. A new heart we need. A new direction we need. The word right in the ancient world meant Skillful. This is not a slam against left-handed people, okay? Left-handed people have their advantage. Left-handed pitchers. There's an advantage to being left-handed. But in the ancient world, the right hand, the right side meant skillful. And the word left connoted in ineptness. And, clumsy, and clumsiness. We say sometimes nothing against left-handers, but we say because we're not left-handed, we, we say we don't want to do that left-handedly. We don't want to do it in a clumsy way. A ancient society made no special provision for left-handers. All soldiers, for example, held their shields in their left hand and their swords in their right hands. 
Matthew 25, 33 says, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. We need, see, we need by nature, this, test, this text applied to us tells us that we need a new destination, not only a new heart, but a new destination if we, if we are to land on the right side as his sheep. It's a decision that we will have to make. We will have to choose to follow Christ if we're going to be on the right side. You must do that. And, and not to decide to do that is to decide. It's to stand still. It's to stay where you are. You're already on the left side. You must decide to cross over to the right side where Jesus is. Where is Jesus right now? Where is he right now? Tell me where he is right now. He's at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing there? He is interceding for sinners. He is giving the gifts of faith and repentance. Go to the right side. Find Jesus. Call upon his name and know him and embrace him and follow after him on the right side for the rest of your life. That's the happy place. That's the place that will land you ultimately with the sheep and not with the goats. But you must make that move. You must do that. Verse 3 then, as we're under this heading of, 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 of the personal discussion of, of folly and wisdom, says plainly, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone... That he is a fool. That's not to say that he walks around saying, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. It's, it's not audibly, but it's observably. It's, it's, it's behaviorally. It's, it's obviously. Uh, Proverbs thirteen sixteen says that in, every, in everything, the prudent acts with knowledge. But a fool flaunts folly. It's not so much that they don't listen to you when you're talking to them. It's not so much that they are rude or, or, or that they do stupid stuff. That's not what the fool is. A Christian sees them as, as the one who lives a foolish life, as one who, who says to himself or to herself, no God for me, no God for me except me. I'm going to live my life as as I please. And, and you see the various manifestations of that. The, the foolish person is declaring because he does not walk with God and he does not love Jesus and he does not find his, his happiness in spiritual things. He tells everyone that he, he is a fool. And no one, no one wants to grow up to be a fool. No one says to their mom or dad, when I grow up, you know what I want to be, Mom? I want to be a fool. But see, that is, in fact, what we do by the things that we pursue according to our fallen nature. We live as fools. If we see a fool, if a Christian sees a foolish person, what is our reaction? Our reaction is not antipathy. It is not anger. 
It is not self-righteousness. It is compassion. We feel compassion for them. We want to love them. We want them not to continue in their foolish way. We are not the bigot. We, we are not prejudiced. As we learn in, in a casual conversation in a Sunday school class, we are the ones who love homosexuals. We're not going to condemn them. They're already condemned. We, we feel compassion for them. We want them to know Christ. We want them to be set free uh, from this slavery of homosexuality. We want to win them to Christ. Well, our, our uh, next heading then, as we move from the personal uh, uh, discussion, let's go to the uh, political. Uh, verse 4 says, If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Although we don't have any direct contact uh, uh, with our ruler, and, and, and if, if indeed he is an ungodly man, he, he can make us angry. He can make us angry by uh, the, the laws that he enacts, the decisions he makes, uh, the stance that he takes on things. So for us, we must not be unduly concerned and, 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 and irritated by it to the extent that we want to move away, that we want to go somewhere else. We can keep our place physically and pray for the city, pray for the country where God has placed us. That will bring that calmness to us. We can keep our place spiritually according to the text and we can fight against abortion. We can oppose homosexuality graciously. We can resist gambling initiatives and all the rest. Where does the calmness come from then? The calmness comes from trusting in a God who reigns. He's in charge of all of these things. And, 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 and we lay the offenses of our country, of our county, of our state, we, we lay them at the feet of Jesus. He is invincible. He is unstoppable. His kingdom is going to come and is coming no matter what happens. And the nations will know him. And the peoples of the earth will praise him. They will adore him. They will serve him. He will see to that. In, in verses 5 through 7 then, under this political heading, uh, we see that there is an evil that our teacher, that... Uh, Solomon has seen un- under the sun as it were an error uh, proceeding from the ruler. Folly, he says, is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking around on the ground like slaves. Here is a ruler's evil, an error, an error is what our teacher calls them. Errors in leadership, 
produce errors in society. Incompetence, ineptness, diminished skillfulness, rules. If they are the ones who are ruling, we're going to have trouble. And while, all the while, he says, the more qualified rich, and, and, and you don't have to take rich only in terms of money. You can say uh, the rich who are in the low place, those who are rich in resources, rich in knowledge, rich in invaluable contributing experience, they are in a low place where uh, their resources, even if it is money, it is not put to work uh, for the public good. This is the positional upside-downness that is not a rare thing uh, for us to behold. We see that. The slave uh, uh, is said to be on a horse. Uh, He should have a more limited assignment. He should not be riding on a horse. Uh, His work uh, uh, should be uh, restricted uh, to simple manual labor and, 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 and not have a spot on, on the costly, showy horse. And, and the worthy princes are on foot. God rules here. God rules in this absurd world with perfect wisdom. And he, he, he has a perfect plan. I, I was reminded of this uh, wonderful old hymn uh, uh, that's, been to, uh, uh, that's been put to a contemporary Style. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. Um, it says, "This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth." Be glad. Lastly, then, after a personal application, a political application, let's look to the practical application in in verses 8 through 11. He who digs a pit will fall into it. It can also be translated, he who digs a pit may fall into it. And a serpent will bite him or may bite him who, who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one doesn't sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Well, clearly, uh, the world is not a safe place. The world is a a risky place. We must be careful, as they say. Uh, uh, Verse 8, from the general consensus, uh, uh, this is criminal activity. The pit is to trap or to harm someone, and the breaking through the wall is uh, for the purpose of theft. It's it's for the purpose of stealing something. And uh, a According to Psalm 715, you could call this uh, poetic justice. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole. 
that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and his own and, and on his own skull, his violence descends. Or in Proverbs 26 and, and verse 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Well, there is, um, uh, like I say, poetic justice. There is satisfaction. Providence often, um, not only sometimes, but, but often, appoints this end, and, and we don't rejoice in it. Uh, we feel compassion uh, for those who are digging a pit uh, to which they will fall into, and we wouldn't advise anybody uh, 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 to break for, uh, through a wall uh, for the purpose of stealing. But uh, that's, um, that's the way the world is. Sometimes God makes an arrangement like that where there is this kind of justice. Verse 9 is more about what we might call accidents. Uh, 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 what, what you read in verse 9 is that he who queries a stone is hurt by them or may be hurt by them. And he who splits logs is in, endangered by them. These are more like accidents. These are things that um, um, uh, for good, legitimate work, um, for a good and, and, and wholesome purpose, uh, something goes wrong. I'm always rebuked as, I, as I'm reminded of uh, Pastor Arocha. Uh, every time we go anywhere, in Santiago or in Santo Domingo, he always prays. He always prays before we leave the house that God will keep us safe. And when, and when we come back, he often prays, thank you for safety. And, and I find myself so presumptuous. Uh, I, I, I'd like to get in, in the habit of praying before I do something. Because how can an accident be avoided? An accident is something that we do not expect. It's, it's, it's unanticipated. But God goes before us. So it's, it's a good thing to pray. And, it, and it's a good thing uh, to express thanksgiving uh, that you've had a safe day or, or, or you've had a safe work day. Verse 10 is, is all about preparation. If, if, if you read it like this, if the iron is blunt and one doesn't sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. It's, it's a simple truth. But wisdom helps one to succeed. You should sharpen the axe. You should prepare the axe. You'll have better success if you prepare for it. How many things go wrong because we don't prepare for it? Well, that's good advice. Then, then, then be prepared, which is the Boy Scout motto. I, I don't know what it is now. Things have changed so much. But, but, but wow, to, to make preparation... Is a good thing. We don't trust in that preparation. We still pray over that. But at least we've done what we could do. Uh, verse 11 is, is all about timing. If, if, the, if, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, then there is no advantage to the charmer. Skill is one thing. A, a charmer has skill. He's able to charm the snake. But if he doesn't do it in time... 
he, he's going to be bitten by the snake. So, so skill unused at the appropriate time is not only wasted, but it can also be costly. It can even be deadly. Well, let's conclude then, if I can, uh, just in like the next 10 minutes, and let's find Jesus here because he's here. He, he told the uh, 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 disciples on the road to Emmaus that, that he could be declared from all of the scriptures. Well, you have this then. Where? Where do we find Jesus? We find him again as, as, as the slave, the, the servant of all. The one who was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And if you look this up in, in, in Exodus chapter uh, uh, 21 and, and verse 32, you'll see that's what a slave was worth. And that's what Judas received. But where is Christ now? Is, is he low? Is, is the servant of all men low? Certainly not. Revelation tells us, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like loud thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. That's Jesus. That's Christ. That's the slave of all men, exalted, riding on a, on a white horse. Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's our Savior. That's this world is so upside down. Well, it's going to turn upside down all over again, and Christ is going to be vindicated. Christ is going to come in glory. Christ is going to show who He really was—that one that was despised and forsaken of men, that one that was so maligned and spoken against and misunderstood. He's going to come with all of His people. He's going to be exalted. I, I can't wait for that day. Ah, uh, concerning the pit which the evil dig, if that's the right interpretation. What does Psalm 103 say to us? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives your iniquity? Who heals your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. That's where we were. All of us. Every single saved sinner was in the pit. It, it was the pit that, that, that the devil dug to destroy us. And some of us were deeper in the pit. I think I was at the very bottom of the pit. And look what he did. 
He redeemed our lives from that pit. He undid what the devil determined to do. He had us. We were his slaves. We were his servants. He was destroying us. But look what he's done. Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is in me. Bless his holy name. And then lastly, concerning that, that ointment. Ah, the only other place that I could think of. Where my heart went right there. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth the most expensive, most extravagant, most seemingly wasteful expenditure of whatever it is we have. He is worth all that we have, all that we are. There's another way to keep flies out of the ointment, isn't there? Pour it out. Pour it out on the head of Jesus. I like what uh, uh, Dr. David Sill says. Um, um, he says, everybody has an alabaster f- flask of something very costly, at least to them. And they've been saving it, holding it back. Oh, for the global glory of Christ. Break it and pour it out as an honor and worship. It will be a sweet fragrance to him and to believers all around the world. What is in your alabaster flask? Will you sacrifice it to him? That's searching, isn't it? That's, that's what I want to do. All of us want to do that with our whole lives. Let's give our whole selves. Let's break ourselves. Let's be that living sacrifice because Christ is worth it. Let's not have any bounds. Let's not have any confines. Let's not have any limits. Let's not have any borders whatsoever for our service to Christ. That's what we learn. That's what God wants us to do. Well, let's bow our heads and pray then. And ask God to help us in all these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much uh, for the wisdom that comes from above. We thank you so much uh, for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, we can be a holy people. We can be prayerful. We can be uh, committed. We can be men and women of the word. We can be a community of worshipers. We can gather around the Lord's table. We can love one another. We can give. We can sacrifice. We have all these capacities because of the new hearts that are within us. 
We do pray that if, if there's anyone here who does not have this heavenly wisdom, which is found in Jesus, that you will draw them to him. That this day will be the day of some person's salvation who, who hears this word and realizes that Christ is seated at, at the right hand of God. And it's there that, that, that they can receive faith and repentance. And it's there that ultimately they can be counted among the sheep that are on the right. Dear God, help us in every way uh, uh, to prepare uh, to take responsibility uh, uh, for the part that, that lies with us, to be co-workers with you in all that we do. May we not be slackers, but may we work hard and, 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 and please our Heavenly Father and, and, and find great joy in it. So bless us now then and encourage every heart. You're our God. You're our Savior. You're the one that delivered us from the pit. Help us to walk uprightly and, 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 and to show that joy and that compassion and, and to work on gospel relationships so that we can share the joy of Jesus uh, uh, with sinners. Oh, help us, help us, help us for your glory and, and for your praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.